With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. September draws to a close and here comes October 2022. Genuinely one of the busiest months in the 120-year history of Manchester United. Nine games to come in the Premier League, UEFA Europa League and EFL Cup. And first up, Manchester City. Rashford rolls in for the Reds! And they lead on the territory of their neighbourly champions. City silenced by United. Squeezed it through Anderson and established a United lead on Derby Day. His clearance is hurried. Back by McTominay! Put the champagne on ice. They've beaten Man City twice. A very warm welcome to the Manchester United Weekly Podcast with me, Harry Robinson. Today on the show, we're previewing Sunday's match against City with the significant helping hand of Michael Plant, journalists at Manchester World, who covers the clubs from both M16 and M11. Michael will give us his insight into how Eric Ten Hag's first few months at United have progressed and tell us whether he's seen any team this season manage to nullify Erling Haaland, who has monstrously racked up the goals for our local rivals so far. Later in the show, I'm joined by my co-host Jack Tate, as always, to talk about the game in further detail as we decide on our starting 11s, tactics and look ahead to this nine-game month of October. There'll also be a youth and women's roundup midway through the show. Enjoy. Okay, Michael, thank you for joining us. Let's begin with with how you're feeling ahead of one of the, the busiest months of the football calendar for some time. I think nine fixtures coming up for United and as someone who covers United and City, you must be bracing yourselves for the pre-World Cup madness. Yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna look back at this uh, little two-week international break quite fondly, I think, uh, in, in a couple of weeks. But uh, no, it'll be good. It'll be just kind of wall-to-wall matches and press conferences, um, which is which is good, you know. There's always plenty to write about and plenty to focus on in that period. Definitely. No shortage of things to write about. And let, let's begin today by talking about United and we'll, we'll come on to City, given the two teams are playing at the weekend. Uh, in short, if we look back to the start of the season, we had a, a, a torrid first couple of games. As someone watching closely, in short, how do you think Eric Tenagas has turned it around from those opening two games to instead have victories over Liverpool, Southampton, Leicester and Arsenal? Yeah, I mean, 
specifically the, those games. I mean, I think that I think it was a good time to play Liverpool. I think that it was. Um, I, th- I think the momentum that they've gained from that win has been huge, and it has rolled in to the following three games. But I mean, I think across the four games, I think having a settled team has really helped him. And um, it's really helped uh, Eric and, and, and helped the team. And I think that, you know, some of the individual performances, the likes of Rafael Varane, uh, the Sandra Martinez, who've struck up a, an immediate partnership, I think has really helped. And, and Christian Eriksen in the middle has been good. And I also think that they've attacked with, um, I suppose, quite, uh, you know, pace, penetration and look to get in behind and stretch teams, which I think is always an issue and a difficulty when Ronaldo's in the team and, and certainly was a, an issue in the first game of the season when you had a, a Christian Eriksen up front. So, yeah, I, um, I think, listen, I think there's been a tiny little bit of luck, I think, across those four Premier League games, taking 12 points. I think that perhaps they've, they've slightly overachieved in those. I think some of those games, particularly the Southampton game and, and maybe the Arsenal game, could have on another day gone slightly differently. But but by and large, I think that I think United and Eric Ten Hag deserve a lot of credit for, for turning this round because it was so toxic after that Brentford game. And to be where they are now is, you know, you've got to give both him and the club real credit. Definitely. Yeah. It was his first real litmus test and he, he passed that. And, and whatever happens going forward, he's passed the first one. You mentioned a few players there. Uh, which player do you think has been key to, to the last few weeks? I think if I had to pick one, I would say Ericsson. Um, I think it's, it's been a big issue for a while at United, um, I'd say pre-Ericsson. Uh, but it's been a while, the issue of dictating the pace and flow of a game. I think that for all the good things Scott McTominay and Fred bring to a team, and, and then they do bring good things. I know some people would disagree with that, but but, but I think that they, they have a, a role to play in the team. But I do think they struggle as a pair. I think that they struggle um, to, to, to firstly, as I say, dictate the flow and pace of a game, uh, to get on the ball and, and kind of dictate to the opposition. And I also think they struggle to shield the back four, which which I also think comes with their, their inability to, to keep possession effectively as well. So I think Harrison coming in, I mean, listen, he's never going to be a, a fantastic kind of holding defensive midfielder, but his ability to get on the ball, just even sometimes just keep a, keep the ball ticking five yards, just keep it five, ten yards, short little passes, keep the ball moving is invaluable. So if I had to give it to one player and say that he's been the biggest factor, I would say it's Christian Eriksen. I'd agree on that one. Um, we spoke earlier about how you're going to cope with the, the mad October of nine games. How do you think Ten Hag, his fellow coaches and, and the squad will cope with this? Because there were summer signings, but there were also more and some significant summer departures. So how do you think United's squad looked in terms of depth going into what will have to be a time where he's rotating pretty significantly game to game? Yeah, I mean, I think he's got an okay size squad, doesn't he? I don't think there's, I don't think you look at it, you certainly wouldn't call it a small squad. Um, and I mean, compared no. to, 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 for instance, Man City, um, um, and, and it's kind of a, a shortage of players they've actually got, surprisingly. But I mean, I think that there will be a couple of questions when you start getting down into the, the you know, I'm sorry to say it, Donny van der Beek's and players like that. And, and if we, you know, get the arm on the sack and players like that, I think there are, are significant issues um, there. But I think by and large, he's got a relatively big squad and listen, he will have to rotate over the, over, I mean, you said October, but 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 even into to, to the pre November or pre-World Cup period in November I think you know I think it's 13 games in a little over six weeks it's just it is madness really to try and kind of cram all those games in in such a short period of time so you look to rotate um, where possible but also keep as much as possible kind of a a nucleus that he's established and and try and keep as many of those players involved and playing regularly as possible If you think there's one player who who over the next few weeks maybe he's not in the team yet but might 
regain their place in the team or might stake a claim for for future starting spots given the number of games and given the rotation is there is there someone who immediately comes to mind I think the obvious one that jumps out is Casemiro isn't it um, I think he's it's only one game he started so far um, and I think that's as much down to, to Scott McTominay's excellent performances in the middle so I think Casemiro will come in and play a lot and I mean it's interesting I even wonder whether he, he'll be drafted in for the weekend and um, for the derby because it's just such a big game and and to bring him in but yeah he's an obvious one I think uh, players like Alanga will probably get a bit more of an opportunity to play I mean it all depends on injury and stuff and, and you know if, if he can rotate for instance you know, if Mark Trashford has to play centrally I think if he's out wide he'll you know look to try and rotate him alongside Sancho and, and Anthony and players like that um, Luke Shaw will probably come in and play a few more games Harry Maguire likewise although we are a bit uncertain about his fitness um, at the moment um, yeah, I would say, would say they're, they're, they're kind of the main players. I think they'll, they'll benefit probably from, from the how many games there are in the coming weeks. Okay, let's talk about the derby. First of all, covering City, you have been doing so for a while. How has the team or how has the team changed since Erling Haaland came in in the summer? Yeah, I mean, I think that last year, obviously, they played in such a, a fluid, unique system where everyone kind of interchanged positions. There was no real central striker, although Gabriel Jesus did play that in the latter stages of the season. Um, but, but by and large, it was very often just players flitting in, occupying that position for a minute. They'd go out, someone else would take it. Whereas now with uh, Erling Haaland and the team, it's just completely changed. That He is the focal point. Everything looks to really go through him now. Um, I think that you see it very often, for instance, Kevin De Bruyne in particular, he looks up, his first thought is, right, how do I get the ball to Erling Haaland? So they are still adapting and still changing. I don't think they've actually completely perfected it yet, which, which I think is a real worry for the Premier League sides. That I do suspect they're going to get better at kind of bringing him into games. And there are still a number of games where Haaland has limited touches, but but by and large, it, it's gone pretty smoothly so far for, for both Haaland and the team. Have there been any moments this season where you've seen an opposition team come close to nullifying Haaland's threat because that is ultimately what Sunday's game will be about from from our perspective is first of all how do you stop Haaland and then beyond that can you then win the game from there effectively I mean it's a good question because I think in a, in a sense you've actually just got to stop him having any chances whatsoever because you know half chance one, one chance for him and he is he is likely to score I mean I can think of games against you know the the, the Dortmund game recently the Villa match where he wasn't particularly involved but he, he just you know he just gets a, a one opportunity and he tends to score and you, you're genuinely asking your almost your your centre back and your, your defence to stop a striker getting even one shooting opportunity, which which I think is, is just an unrealistic expectation. So, um, I mean, the funny thing is the one team that have stopped from scoring so far since he moved to City are Bournemouth, which is a bit, you know, it's a bit of a strange yeah. one. And I was at that game and I don't think they did anything particularly effective. And I think it was a little bit of a, I think it was a game where Haaland struggled to get involved. I think that was the match. He, he had something like 11 touches and everyone was talking about that after the game. But I think that was just as much an off day from him. So in short, no, I don't really think across 90 minutes it is possible to keep him fully quiet. Yeah. And you look at United's defence and wonder who's who's going to be tasked with that responsibility. And of course, as a, as a central striker, most strikers of, of any note will float between the two centre-backs and Channison both. But if Ten Hag's setting up this United team 
and one player in particular has a responsibility for Haaland, who, who do you think would be given that? Because you, you'd expect uh, there's been plenty of conversation about Martinez's height and much of it unwarranted. But when you're coming up against someone as monster-esque as Haaland, then it, it, it might actually have a, a, a bigger influence than in other games. Yeah, I mean, listen, I don't think you can discount the height thing. And, and, and it's not a kind of, a, you know, a, an old man football opinion that, that your centre-backs have to be big and strong and, and tall. But there is a genuine thing that, you know, if you're Martinez going up for a header against Haaland, I mean, <laughs> there's only going to be, if, if, if the ball's at a certain height, there's only going to be one winner, really. So, yeah, I mean, I think Varane will, will be tasked with, with trying to deal with him as much as possible. But I also wouldn't be surprised that once the ball goes wide and, and it looks like it's across an opportunity, you see Haaland you know, flipped on, onto Martinez and, and looked to draw onto him. So uh, I do think it's, it's, it is an area of concern for United going into the derby. I, I can't lie. Matomine's been been played a lot this season. You mentioned it a couple of minutes ago. Even since Casemiro's joined, ahead of Casemiro, and one of the obvious contributions he's given is is his aerial ability and throughout games you see him dropping back next to Martinez and even Varane and he's, he, he did this in, in past seasons as well with Lindelof protected him a little bit does that mean McTominay maybe is a bit of a shoo-in for, for this game he was suspended for Scotland's second game in the international break as well so he's pretty well rested and then if, if you're then having McTominay in there to help with the Haaland threat he's got a good good frame on him Scott McTominay then you think how else do you form that midfield if you have to include McTominay? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a good point. It's a really good good question, Harry, because I actually think that perhaps the game is almost suited for playing without Ericsson, which is a strange thing to say when I've just been complimenting him and talking about how he's been United's best player over the last couple of weeks and months. But um, I think that, you know, the reality is United aren't going to see a lot of the ball. City are going to be on the ball and, and dictating the play and how these things go. And, and you want two defensive midfielders in there to potentially try and stop it, potentially try and win the ball and counter-attack quickly. Whereas, you know, I spoke about Ericsson's ability is, is his ability on the ball and to keep everything ticking over. So yeah, it's a good question because in some ways to drop Ericsson does seem a bit, you know, crazy given his form. But also I do wonder whether it's a game that is actually just slightly suited more for, for McTominay and Casemiro to play in there and shield the back four. Final question. Do you think we'll see a similar performance from United at City as we did under Oregon Solskjaer in, in the more successful games that he enjoyed at the Etihad? I certainly think we'll see a certain similar type of performance. Um, I think that United will sit relatively deep, try and stop, um, you know, try and limit the gaps and spaces for City and, and and look to get the ball and attack quickly. They've got the players to do it. They've got, you know, assuming he's fit, Rashford, Sancho, uh, Anthony, um, even players like Alanga. So I think they've definitely got the, the players to kind of fulfil that kind of tactical plan whether it goes to <laughs> whether it all works out I don't know I'm not making any predictions um, but I think that will certainly be be the plan from Ten Hag which again it makes me wonder whether he'll look to, to kind of save Ericsson for another game potentially It's a strange one to build up to this because not only is it coming out of an international break but United we've played a couple of Europa League games but we haven't played a I've, I don't want to say I'm going to say meaningful um game with something immediate on the line since the Arsenal match and that gives a really it, it's it's almost a month since that game it's a really difficult kind of way to get your headset into it are we forgetting how scary this game would be were we in a normal fixture run 
Yeah, potentially. I, I do know what you mean. It, it, it feels like very much like the first couple of weeks of Ten Hag where this is crazy, this is going terribly. Then suddenly turned it around. And I don't really know where we're at now. As you say, it's just been so long since, since we've had a game. But I think one benefit for United is that City, once they get into a rhythm and a routine of playing game after game, can really suddenly uh, get their patterns of play working really well and, and, and say they can get into a good rhythm. I remember them winning, I think it was 12 Premier League games in a row last year when they get into mm. those types of run. Um, and they aren't in that at the moment for the obvious reasons that we've just mentioned. And, you know, they only they won their last Premier League game, but they drew before that. So I think that's an advantage to United, playing City when they haven't had as long to, to work on their tactics and get into a bit of a rhythm. But yeah, I, I do know what you mean. You certainly can't overlook or underestimate the City team who in my opinion are probably probably the best team in the world at the moment they have but they have been got at early in games this season as they were last season is that that still one of their main weaknesses yeah I mean I think it was a slight anomaly the way that that just kept happening I think they had was it something like five or six games that conceded the first or they'd gone two goals four to six games I think it was they'd gone two goals down I think that was a bit a bit of an anomaly as I say and they've already kind of fix that a little bit in terms of their, their results but I, I do think that you can get at them in terms of running behind I actually think that I think if you go to City and you just defend for 90 minutes you will get caught off you, you will be picked off eventually but yeah, if you do have something going in behind I think the Newcastle game was the best example when St Maxima was just kept running at them I do think you have to go there and have to, to be brave and, and have to try and take City on and, and try to exploit the spaces in behind so yeah I, I, while specifically taking the first goal I don't know how pivotal that, that necessarily will be. I think looking to exploit those spaces in behind is key for United at the weekend. Okay, be brave. That's the message. Let's just tell people where, where they can find you on, on Twitter and where they can read your writing during the week as well. Yeah, so I'm a reporter for, for Manchester World, um, a relatively new website, which I appreciate probably a lot of listeners won't be aware of, but we are um, uh, one of only two regional websites who cover both Manchester United and Manchester City. Um and, you know, we're, we're only kind of just over a year old, the website, we're trying to break into obviously what is quite a crowded and difficult market, but we've had real success in the last year. And, and yeah, you know, I would always you know encourage anyone to, to please check out the website because probably quite a few listeners have, are still kind of learning about us as a website. But, uh, yeah, that's uh, Manchester World. Um, I can't remember the Twitter bio off the top of my head, but uh, you'll search search Manchester World into Twitter and you'll find us. And my own is uh, at MichaelPlant82 on Twitter. Nice one. All right, thanks very much to Michael for coming on. Let's continue talking about the City game. But before we do, Jack, welcome to the episode. How have you been over the international break? A bit bored, to be honest. It feels like <laughs> this is probably the longest we've ever gone. Obviously, apart from the summer without United having any meaningful Premier League games. And then just, yeah. just also bored and concerned about England mainly and all the, the kind of vitriol that's come with that. It's, it's definitely nice to be back. Yeah, yeah. It feels, uh, well, I mean, in, in terms of like, this won't be a home game anyway, City away, but in terms of home games, as a, as, as a season ticket holder, who's, I think when you go in every week and you're looking at the, this season in particular, it's just relentless, like Sunday, Thursday. And then suddenly there was just this unexpected break of a long, long time, but especially between home games, it'll be Arsenal. Well, Real Sociedad, and then we haven't got a home game until the 13th against Omania. So still over, well over a month. So yeah, very strange. There's been some interesting international stories, but I mean, it, it's, it, it all feels a bit, 
just kind of pointless ahead of the World Cup where yeah, teams form. Some people say teams form matters going into World Cup, but the truth is it, it doesn't really. So, I mean, there's been lots of debate about England and there has been about Germany and Spain and France and their respective countries as well. But we'll just see how it goes. Anyway. Also, after after you're saying that until the game against Omnia, it would be like a month since our last home game, which is very true. But then after that, then it's mad, yeah. five of our next six yeah. games are up. And there's three... <laughs> The schedule is, is not only mad in terms of how quickly the games are coming, but even like out the home and away. I know October out. and November is a. It's just my, my, I was I was going through my calendar today, and it's like oh United game again, and then oh United game again Thursday Sunday Thursday Sunday so on. And it's the fact yeah they're all I think it's three home games in eight days from Omonia, Newcastle yeah. and Spurs yeah in, in six days yeah six. from Thursday Jesus. to Omonia on Thursday Newcastle on Sunday Spurs on Wednesday wow all right. <laughs> I'll prepare myself for that. <laughs> anyway, something to look forward to is just, well, is it to look forward to the City game? It, I was saying this to Michael as well. It, it seems weird because the build up to this is so different to a normal derby because we haven't, not just the international break, but also, as you were saying, without meaning, meaningful Premier League fixtures recently. But I also think it's been forgotten and maybe this will start getting raised on Friday. Well, actually, we, we were completely humiliated last season by City and this is a chance for revenge. And it was, that's probably the biggest humiliation in terms of over the course of a season we've we've had at the hands of our local rivals I think there's a convenient forgetting of that by most United fans but it, it it's a point worth raising um are you excited for it or just dreading it no of course I'm excited I think you like I mean I'd be excited even if United United were playing a sort of meaningless game yeah. that, that didn't have much spice to it just because it's been so long since we've played I mean I always go into these games against like City Liverpool Chelsea, Arsenal, whoever it is, always have a little bit of, of angst and trepidation. Not not necessarily worried of that we aren't good enough, but just, just worried about like if we lose, how am I going to feel? Like Because that feeling is just awful when you lose to a rival. But no, I am excited. I'm excited as well to just see the squad again. You know, it's yeah. it's been so long. I, you almost forget how good the mood was around the club. I know we had the, the blip against Real Sociedad, but uh, yeah. you know, before before the Queen died and everything got paused and then the international break, we were in such a good, there was such a good mood around the club, such a good feeling feeling among, among the fan base. And the one benefit you can hope that United may have got from all this postponements is that we had, we have had a little bit more time on the training ground. I know we've had a couple of injuries here and there, but a little bit more time on the training ground with Ten Hag, hopefully betting in this system and a lot of time to plan for, you know, obviously it was going to be a really tough game. Yeah. Should we start on, let's talk about the squad first and, and the starting eleven. but it, it'll be interesting because I think, I think it, it often in these games, it's Guardiola responding to how United set up more than uh, Ten Hag and, and past United managers have obviously come to the Etihad with a plan that's taken weeks to formulate. But I think the, the, the way the games pan out is normally about how Guardiola then responds to that. And sometimes it's successful and sometimes it's not. So I always think it's interesting. There's so much, so much thinking goes in before, but then it's often about not the, not the way the game starts, but how it, how it changes inside. And there was actually a really interesting quote by uh, Spain manager Luis Enrique on, on that kind of theme where he was saying, he responded to a question by a journalist saying, these are the questions that you ask as a journalist after the match, but the we as coaches ask before the match kind of referring to how how there is preparation for every scenario in a game. And that's what these, these big matches come down to, I guess. In terms of starting 11, what's, what's the one big talking point you think there'll be on, on Sunday morning or Sunday afternoon? Well, I mean, I think, I think there's a, a fair amount of United's team that is set. You've got three of the back four for sure, Indalo, Varane and Martinez. 
Obviously, De Gea in goal. I think Ericsson, Fernandez are, are absolute shoo-ins. Rashford will be a shoo-in if he's fit, I think, in, in whatever position he ends up playing, whether that's on the left or up front. So, I mean, I think you're kind of then left with who plays on the right. I'm assuming it will be Anthony, but if Rashford plays on the left, you could potentially see Ronaldo starting up front and Sancho pushed out to the right. You could, and then, and then it comes down to midfield and left back, which I think are the two biggest mid, uh, sort, of, sort of selection dilemmas. I think the one that I'm most interested in will be central midfield. And do we stick with McTominay or bring Casemiro in? Ten Hag has been very sort of rewarding, I guess, to McTominay for what has been a pretty decent start to the season after the first couple of games. He's come in, he's played that role relatively well. Casemiro being signed hasn't pushed him out of the team. And I think we both expected that it would pretty much straight away. And to be fair, Casemiro hasn't set the world alight in his performances quite yet. You hope he, he's kind of getting up to speed. So I, I would I would think that McTominay will play, but it wouldn't surprise me to see a little bit of a of a change in that regard. Yeah, I think Casemiro, they both bring such different qualities and so many of City's goals are scored inside or just outside the six-yard box or in line with the penalty spot. And it seems like McTominay's aerial ability, and that's not to say Casemiro's not good in the air, he is, but McTominay's a, a bigger frame. McTominay's aerial ability and scrappiness might be more helpful in that. But I think that's maybe forgetting how important Casemiro is breaking down those attacks before they happen and that proactive interceptions. And yeah. you can just see, can't you, De Bruyne feeding Haaland into about 40 yards of space behind Martinez and Varane. And at that point, which midfielder do you want? Probably Casemiro because he's the most likely to stop that ball and and prevent that that through ball from De Bruyne happening before it happens. So it's it's a really tough one. I just, I can't, I, I, my instinct is that Tenag will stick with McTominay's physical presence. And that, that kind of links to the Sean Molassi debate because we saw again, uh, not only did Shaw score for England, that's kind of irrelevant because it's a, kind of a back post finish, great. But more important, I think, was the, uh, he created a chance for Saka where he played that typical kind of Luke Shaw killer through ball past, I don't know, two or three players that curls around into the into the path of the attacker. Yeah, that was an unbelievable And he ball. does that, he's done that plenty of times for United and that is his quality. His quality on the ball is is far ahead of Molasses at, at this stage. I mean, you only have to look at the goal he scored at the Etihad a couple of years ago for yeah. similar to yeah. what he can, can provide. Exactly. But in this game, I think you probably do want the, tenacity and the scrappiness of Malassia ahead of that kind of, well, partly because it's not always there ahead of that quality on the ball of Shaw. And I think Michael early was, was talking about how he might drop Ericsson for this game because yes, he brings composure and, uh, and a, uh, an ability to dictate the tempo of the game, but that's probably not what United need at the Etihad. Well, I mean, truthfully, we're going to have to counterattack and we will defend a lot and we're going to have to be really direct. And in that case, Ericsson's influence becomes lesser. What do you think of that? No, I think it's a fair point. I think it's always a bit of a dilemma, I think, for United when we go and play against a team like City because we know we're not going to have much of the ball. We know we're going to have to live primarily on the counter-attack. But we've seen before against City that without someone, especially in a slightly deeper area of midfield than, say, where Fernandez plays, without someone in that role that, that is very confident and comfortable playing out under some pressure, it's difficult to even advance the ball to a point where you can even begin a counter-attack. Like we've seen plenty of stretches of games, especially at the Etihad, where you know we literally can't get yeah. out of Man City's half for 20, could 25 that not minutes. Be, could that not be Casemiro, though? I mean, potentially, but I don't, I don't think that's his biggest strength. Like he, he, he's, he's definitely better on the ball than, say, McTominay, I think, but 
I still don't think he's anywhere near... Like, I think the difference between like a McTominay and Casemiro is much smaller than Casemiro to Ericsson, for example. I, to be honest, if I was going to shift the balance in the midfield, I'd almost be tempted to drop Fernandez and play... I, I don't think this will happen, but I, I, I would be tempted to drop Fernandez, play a slightly flatter three in midfield with McTominay and Casemiro in there, and then Ericsson as the more advanced midfielder, but still playing slightly deeper than Fernandez would normally play. I, I do think it's I do think it's important to have someone that can allow us effectively just allow us a bit of respite from what I'm assuming is going yeah. to be a lot of Man City attacks and we have struggled in the past when you have players like McTominay and Fred for instance as your two main midfielders their their strengths are not bringing the ball down under pressure finding Fernandez or finding Rashford yeah. or Sancho whoever it's going to be and there have been times where even if we're doing really well defensively you know dealing with the attacks clearing the ball really well. When it drops in midfield, if your instinct is just kind of panic and, and hoof it away or try and play out and fail, that almost outweighs the good defending you can do. Because if you give Man City half an hour straight of attacking you, they're going to score eventually. Yeah, and that's where McTominay's weakness is. Casemiro is fine in that regard. Ericsson's obviously great in that regard. In terms of Fernandez, I think my concern with that is, I think basically this if United are going to win this game, it depends on... And this is assuming Rashford is fit, and I think he will be. And I think Martial will be fit actually as well. Assuming those two are fit, this game is basically reliant on how how can you maximise the qualities of Rashford and maybe Anthony as well. And that means creating as much space as you can for them. And, and that's where Fernandez can offer a lot as kind of the shadow striker who's, who's just dragging yeah. defenders around. But if he's going to play that, then he needs to operate on both the left and the right. Or too often he, he drifts over to the left and... And it's all down to whoever the right winger is to great space themselves. And it, and it means we're too, too left-sided. He's going to have to do it all over the pitch. But I think, yeah, th- this is down to maximising Rashford. Now, if Martial's fit, that that uh, task of maximising Rashford's ability becomes a lot better because we've spoken about this, I think, in quite a lot of detail in the last episode, the Patreon mailbag about how Rashford needs a striker in the, in the mould of Martial to bring the best out of him, a striker who can hold up the ball and, and and play with him best. So Martial being fit could be could be pretty big. But I think this is a it, it's amazing how quickly things turn around as always in football. But you go into this game thinking, yeah, Rashford will be the key player for us here. Whereas even a month ago, it was is Rashford going to play for United more than once a month this season? I think Martial will be key to allowing Rashford to to play his best as well if he is fit. I think, you know, and Martial will also help someone like Fernandez as well, because despite the fact that he is a lot smaller, obviously, than Ronaldo and physically doesn't maybe doesn't have the presence of Ronaldo, with the ball at his feet, his ability to, to hold the ball up and have really good clo- close control under pressure is miles ahead of anyone else that we have in that area. So what City have kind of built their game on is this ability to get to win the ball back extremely quickly after they give it away. It's what Pep's Barcelona and Bayern Munich teams yeah. built their foundation on as well. And again, it's something that we've struggled with against them in the past. It it makes a huge, huge difference if you have someone at the top end of the pitch who can have, who can make the ball stick, who can, can have really good control under pressure, even if all they're doing is holding the ball up. Even if we lose the ball 10 seconds later, that, yeah, yeah. that difference between losing the ball immediately and losing it after 10 seconds actually makes a really, really big difference. Not only to, you know, basically just giving the defence a little bit of a breather, but also just allowing you time to restructure get your positioning back, get some order back together in your defence. Man City thrive on any sort of unstructured 
in any sort of unstructured patterns of play. Yeah. And that's what happens when you lose the ball straight away because you've got players busting forward or out of position from break up the previous attack. And then if you lose it, it breaks down and there's so much space for Man City to attack into. So I think if Martial is fit, he will also be really key. He, whether he has a good game or not, I think will be really, really key to United's chances in this game. I think he will. And I think I think he'll be fit and I think he'll have a good game. And and, and that's what you were talking about there is is kind of the key to this game in, in that you can set up however you like, but how many times have we gone to the Etihad and conceded early yeah. because we haven't got that concentration? And the truth is with these games is your tactics and your setup are in, very important, but more than that is your application. And that, it just applies, to, it, it's, it's stating the obvious, isn't it? But it, it obviously applies to defence, but it's also about when De Gea gets the ball, when United manage, when City's attack breaks down, because this is generally how the games go. City will attack for a while, United will try to push them out to the wings rather than come through the middle. Someone will be marking Haaland very closely. You hope the crosses miss hit or they can beat Haaland in the air. Anyway, De Gea eventually gets the ball. Then your attackers, Rashford, Anthony, Martial, Sancho, whoever, and Fernandez have to be all already have to be aware of where the space is that they can run into so the hair can find them because that's how you have success on the counter attack and that's how you success playing directly is not you can't be wasting a second of that time when the hair picks it up and he's his distribution is going to have to be good and that's not that's no guarantee and it's no good uh, too I've I've been watched in person especially often under Solskjaer too often the attackers were slow to respond to United winning possession back and it was a massive downfall of Solskjaer in the final 12 months or so so I think that would be key as well. And then obviously defensive defensive concentration. But in terms of Varane and Martinez, those are two centre-backs you're, I feel confident in not only to have that concentration, but to step up to a big game as well. Yeah, 100%. I, I think they've proven so much yeah, over the last month or so. Well, a bit more than two months now because it's been a month since we've seen us play. But in like the four games before all the postponements, they proved so much about how they can operate together. In Varane, obviously, like you mentioned, so experienced, very, very used to these kind of big games. And in Martinez, someone whose who's attitude on the pitch, it feels like he is exactly the right character to step up in games like this. Someone who will rise to the occasion and kind of match the intensity that's going to be in this game from, from the first whistle. I, I think, you know, it's just, we, we mentioned last time, last time, I think, in the patron mailbag about just how the defence that we've had recently has done such a good job of setting the tone for the rest of the team. And that doesn't necessarily mean that Martinez or Varane are, are better than, like I say, Maguire or Lindelof. They have been very, very good recently, but it's just the tone that they set for the rest of our team is so good at basically just getting United up to speed in a game. And I think that is something we've really struggled with. In big games, obviously, last season, you can look at both games against Liverpool both games against Man City, you know, plenty of other examples where we just weren't at the races to begin with and sort of didn't match. The one at Anfield in particular is the yeah. one that springs to mind, you know, where United just didn't, weren't ready and weren't at the races to start the game. That is something that I don't think will happen with Varane and Martinez just because of the way that they play and the with, game. Yeah, and with Dallow and Malassia as well. And yeah. that's what we spoke about for Liverpool and Arsenal is that it's just a different, it's just a different style of footballer is not always the better one, but for United right now, that's the kind of players we need. So there's a, there's a lot of optimism there, isn't there? Um, but yeah, there is. it's I still mean, very I mean, concerning. We, we managed concern, to yeah. get, what, 16, 17 minutes into this and haven't mentioned Haaland yeah, yeah. once, which is maybe a bit of a mistake. But that's about concentration. You just can't give him chances. 
so we'll see. Um, we need, we'll, we'll move on and, and we're going to wrap up in a second, but uh, United women did play at the weekend and they have now opened their season with six goals, two wins and two clean sheets. The goals this time from uh, Lucia Garcia, the new signing Spanish forward from Athletic Bilbao and Hannah Blondell, who joined from Chelsea last year. He's a defender, but actually scored a really nicely well-directed low curler into the bottom corner. It was lovely. Uh, basically passed it into the net from 20 yards out. Um, but yeah, good start for Mark Skinner's team. And and two games, there were too many games last year which were what could have been draws. And you came away frustrated because you thought United could be doing something a lot bigger here. And that hasn't shown yet. So we'll see. But it's a real litmus test for for the manager he's got seven good signings in it really is his side now and he needs some success in terms of the, the challenges United are kind of aiming for top three but I think they should really be aiming aiming for the title and see where you go from there Arsenal have won their opening two Chelsea lost at Liverpool and then beat City and City have lost their opening two games which is massive they're the team for United to overtake really um, so here we got to finally get above City and finish in, in the top three uh, as for the youth teams, didn't play because of the international break. Plenty of, of kids playing on international duty. The under-18s played Blackburn. Well, in fact, both teams played Blackburn on Saturday morning. Uh, the under-18s at home, the under-21s away. Jack, anything else before we, we wrap up? What's, what's your prediction for the game? I think there's going to be goals. I expect both teams to be able to exploit the weakness in the other team's defence. And I think United will come out and play well. I'm not necessarily confident... I'm not confident that we'll get a result from the game, but I am confident that we we will play relatively well. Honestly, I think I would go for like a 3-2 Man, Man City win. Yeah, I think we'll play well and lose. I don't think it'll be as high scoring as that. And I'm not sure I can take that. <laughs> I th- I'll go... I, th- I think we could play well and lose 3-1. That's not. It's not very positive, but... Yeah. I, I, yeah. I just think... It, it, you're trying to get back into the game at 2-1 and then a third goes in in say like the 87th, yeah. 88th minute and that, that I wouldn't, I'd be very unsurprised at that. Uh, but it is, it, it's more about the performance. And it's just, it's just a reflection of, of where these two teams are in their sort of progression. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, I don't think it's a shock to anyone or unfair at all to say that United could easily play play well in this game and still lose by multiple goals. Yeah. The other the other notable thing is how many changes there'll be from the team that played at the Etihad in March and the team that plays there uh, on Sunday afternoon. At least five changes guaranteed because five players have left the club, but probably seven. Uh, and the only ones kept in the team will, probably, uh, will be De Gea, McTominay, Fernandez, Sancho, and two of them aren't even guaranteed to start. So it could be massive changes. And that's true on the bench as well, which is a sign of how things have... Maybe we've forgotten how quickly the team has changed, even if it's not in signings, it's with who's playing uh, since Ten Hag came in. But anyway, let's wrap up. Thank you very much for listening, everyone. Thank you to Michael Plant for coming on the episode from Manchester World. You can find his writings at Manchester World uh, and he's on Twitter at MichaelPlant82. As for Jack's thoughts on the derby and throughout the week, we will be back on Tuesday morning to review the match. You can find Jack on Twitter at at UTD Tate T-A-I-T and you can find me at Harry Robinson 64 on the podcast itself at UTD Weekly Pod that's P-O-D at the end there and if you've enjoyed the show and if you want to hear more from us you can sign up to be a patron for as little as £1.50 a week uh, if you do that we'd be massively appreciate it's the kind of thing that allows us to do these two episodes a week and a big preview like this which we wouldn't normally be able to do uh, so go to our Twitter at UTD Weekly Pod P-O-D at the end there to find out more information about how to do that otherwise Enjoy the game, whatever it may bring. Enjoy your weekend and have a great time until we speak next. Goodbye.
Social Podcast Network.